It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hi, you guys. So I had something very dramatic happen to me in the past couple of weeks. I had my 60th birthday party. Oh my, I'm 60. How did that happen? I mean, do you sit there at birthdays and think to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute. How, how did this actually happen? Because in my mind, I'm still a co-ed at Berkeley. Well, that shows how old I am. I'm still using the term co-ed. I'm just a college kid having fun and doing you know, orange theory and jumping around. But that said, this has really made me feel doing this podcast just so good about bringing these stories to you of success, failure, and then success, the climb, how extraordinary people who are in the public eye at the top of their game, how they did it so that you realize you can do it too. It just takes this a voluminous amount of work and stick-to-itiveness and grit. And so I got another one for you, and you are going to be riveted because I told you so. So I'm going to start with a multi-pronged quiz leading into this. I'm, I'm about to give it to you. You ready? Okay, you have to listen closely. What do actors Robert Downey Jr., Eva Longoria, Charlie Sheen, reality stars Paris Hilton, Nicole Richie, what do they all have in common with NBA star Lamar Odom, boxer Oscar De La Hoya. Okay, I know it's getting long, but keep going. Major League Baseball stars Jose Canseco, Daryl Strawberry, football king, right, back in the day, O.J. Simpson. Yes, we know all about O.J. I'm still not done. Casino magnate Steve Wynn, Viacom founder Sumner Redstone, and gambling magnate Steve Wynn. I'm still not done. I'm almost done. And finally, what do they all have in common with rock stars David Lee Roth, Smokey Robinson, and Chaka Khan? They all turned to one man when they needed a lawyer. That lawyer, Robert Shapiro. He is known internationally as one of the best litigators in the world. And time and time again, he stood before juries and systematically filleted prosecutors' cases against his clients. He's famous for staring down huge press gaggles and bluntly defending his clients' innocence. With such a flair for drama, is it any surprise that no fewer than four actors, including John Travolta, have portrayed him in movies? It's like he was born to be a criminal defense attorney, right? Far from it. Growing up in Plainfield, New Jersey, yeah, he went off to college to UCLA to earn his degree in finance. So what was the hairpin turn of life that brought him face to face with a career in law? And how at the height of his fame did he deal with the worst loss any parent could ever have? Robert Shapiro's story is one of grit, surprises, tragedy, success, hope. He's here today to talk about embracing success and fighting through grief. Robert, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thank you so much for that most generous uh, introduction. Uh, and uh, more importantly, happy birthday. I think your mother must have lied on your birth certificate <laughs> and, uh, and, and decided you should be uh, a little bit older uh, so you could advance through school more quickly. Uh, I think you have her card she did that. 
She lied mm-hmm. about my age, my little brother's age, and one of my older sister's ages because she five kids. She was like, get to school already. So she kind of pushed it up so that it was before the cutoff date. So you're right. Uh, well, you know, I mean, uh, it's pretty easy to determine that. All you have to do is look at you, and, <laughs> and obviously, you know, your age is is not what's on your birth certificate. Well, thank you. That is uh, that's the kind of compliment I really need right now. Uh, but oh my gosh, you know, you. When I think about all of these, I mean, celebrities are just a corner of all of the clients you've had, but you really run the gamut when it comes to celebs. I mean, Paris Hilton to Chaka Khan, uh, which popped into my mind. Why did Paris Hilton need your services? Well, Paris Hilton, I was really behind the scenes in Paris Hilton, uh, which I do many times because sometimes the profile of uh, a quote-unquote high-powered attorney Mm -hmm. uh, takes away from uh, the client themselves. And and Paris had this unfortunate incident uh, where... She was granted probation on a uh, old uh, old case. She violated the probation, and a, uh, a very mean spirited judge put her in jail for I think thirty or sixty days. Mm-hmm. This so, is coming back to me. I do. I do actually remember this. This is a long time ago, but I remember them throwing her in the clink, probably because he thought he could. He needed to send some type of message that we're all held to the same standard. No, you know what the message is? They're held to a higher standard. There's not one other person that, number one, that would go to jail when the jails are overcrowded. Mm. The sheriff routinely releases people early, and uh, that person would would never have come to the court's attention. But uh, the judge wanted his day uh, in the media, and uh, and he got it. You know, I don't know her, but... She she works for a living. She she's a lovely girl. She really is woman now. I mean, she's she's like the rest of us aging. But not a lot of people know about the early days of Robert Shapiro. So yeah, you were born in Plainfield, New Jersey, but at a very young age, your your parents picked up and and moved to Los Angeles. But I need to know about your parents. I mean, what did they do? What were they like? And what was growing up in that household like? Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, my father had two sisters. My mother had uh, was one of six children. Uh, my mother was very, very smart, uh, did not go to college, uh, but uh, was politically active and uh, worked in the polls every year, was, uh, was very proud of doing that, and worked as a sales lady uh, in a department store uh, in the East Coast, and then uh, came out here and and worked in an apartment store. My father was a sensational athlete. Uh, was all state in basketball and baseball. Really, two things I didn't inherit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but he was a, a gifted musician, uh, really a child prodigy. At the piano, another thing I didn't inherit, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, musicians ha- have a t- tough time uh, making a living, uh, especially, you know, if you're a piano player, there's not not a great, great demand. Although people like piano players, it really is very difficult to make a living. Sure. So he was one of the first people who actually started a lunch truck business 
where he and my grandfather would get up at uh, three o'clock in the morning, make coffee, get donuts, sandwiches, and uh, start going to factories when people were uh, arriving at uh, work downtown in L.A. at six o'clock in the morning. Huh. Uh, he worked every single day of his life till he was 65 and then decided he would come work for me at the law office, which oh. he did till uh, he retired at about 94 with full faculties and fortunately lived to 100, a little over 100. Whoa. And in perfect health. Oh. My mother uh, lived to 97. She had slight uh, dementia, but uh, still uh, still functioned well and uh, had a great sense of humor, either directly or, or indirectly. Uh, she, uh, I was the pride and joy of, uh, of her life, which many times made me very, very uncomfortable. But but she she you know she instilled real values with me as did my father, uh, being uh, wise economically, saving money, uh, living you know maybe a little bit below your means, and uh, just doing the right thing and 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 being uh, being a good person and working really hard that work and, ethic, and the work ethic is is something that that I really that I did inherit. I can tell. And and I use the term hairpin turn, but I mean, finance, a lot of guys in finance go into law. But what what triggered the shift, Robert, when you had the degree in finance, you could have gone to work anywhere at a brokerage or at a bank or gone into the, you know, financier business. What turned you to law school at Loyola? That is a great question. So I'm thinking about writing an autobiography and uh, the working title uh, is I never wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> okay. It has to be. That's a great title. And, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, when I was at UCLA, I didn't, uh, didn't know anything about law. I never had any desire to uh, be a lawyer. But uh, there was an intervening event in 1965 when I graduated, and that was the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And the UCLA draft board, the draft board was right across the street from UCLA. And I was 1A, which is fit and ready to go. And drafting was automatic. There were, there were four ways to avoid going to Vietnam if uh, you were so inclined. One was to go to Canada, which I had no desire to do. One was to burn your draft card and take a take a chance with the federal authorities, which uh, I did not want to do. One was to become a conscientious objector, which I would have to lie to do that. Hmm. And the other was to get a deferment to, for, to age 35 to go to graduate school. Uh, UCLA at the time did not have a graduate school of business. Otherwise, I would have gone there. And so myself and numerous uh, members, not only of my fraternity, but uh, people I knew on campus, sent out massive applications to second and third rate law schools <laughs> with, with the hope that we would get accepted. No preparation whatsoever. Oh my I, I I doubt if I got above a 
meaningful score on the LSAT. <laughs> and uh, three of us got accepted to the University of San Diego. Okay. Uh, a, a third-rate law school, uh, but a, with a nice view overlooking the ocean in San Diego. And the first day I'm there and I get a call from Loyola, that one seat opened up in the day school. And I said, guys, you know, I can work. I won't have to have student debt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully we can find another roommate for you. But uh, I'm moving back to L.A. I'm going to live at home and uh, and go to night school. First day at night school, they came to me and said one seat opened in the day school. <laughs> So, you know, that's three years instead of four years. I'll take a crack at that. And so I, I enrolled in Loyola as a first-year law student. And turned out that uh, I was pretty well suited for one area in law particularly, and, and that was in uh, advocacy. And so I was fortunate enough to do well in law school. I won the moot court competition. I became mm -hmm. the chief justice of the moot court. And uh, I got uh, I got a very, very high score from a federal judge, very, very tough federal judge named Manny Real. He gave me 100. Whoa. And he, and he called me aside and he said, you know, what, what are you planning on doing? I said, you know, I think... Uh, I'm going to try to pursue my career in finance and use, you know, uh, the background I have. He said, you should be a trial lawyer. You're a natural. Whoa. And so uh, I applied to uh, the local uh, public offices, the district attorney's office, the public defender's office, and the county council. And I got accepted to all three and decided that County council didn't try many council many cases, mm -hmm. so that really was off. Public defenders uh, were uh, more uh, left leaning and uh, had long hair, which I didn't. And <laughs> but I, but I figured realistically they would just be going against young DAs and probably not get much experience. And as a prosecutor, you know, uh, I may be exposed to private lawyers that were very good and and learn some techniques and that's what i did so for the first uh, 18 months i was a trial lawyer in the district attorney's office when did you go into a private practice uh 18 months into uh my career as a deputy district attorney uh, i was recruited by a lawyer who had probably the biggest criminal law practice in California, maybe one of the biggest in the country at the time. Who was that? His name was Harry Weiss, mm -hmm. and uh, he was a, a dapper, dapper guy uh, out of vaudeville. I don't even know if he ever uh, went to law school, but uh, <laughs> he was a, a tremendous. He was a tremendous trial lawyer, uh, and uh, he was uh, at that time not openly gay, uh, but. Uh, there was no secret, and uh, he was able to build relationships with prosecutors and judges like no one else, and w was able to get fantastic results uh, for his clients and had carried a caseload of probably 20 to 30 criminal cases a day, wow. uh, five days a week uh, around the clock. And there was two other lawyers working uh, for him. 
and I did. I worked for him for about uh, two years, and then I decided, you know, I'll take a crack at doing this myself. Hmm. I had good relationships with the judges. Uh, in those days, you were able to get court-appointed cases uh, when the public defender had a conflict. Today, uh, there, there's alternate public defenders and and second and third tier uh, conflict lawyers, so nearly impossible. But the next seven years, I, uh, being a lawyer, I spent every day in a courtroom for seven years straight. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. What was the make or break sort of that big Whoa, who is this guy Robert Shapiro case that you got that really eclipsed everything before then and got you a lot of attention? So uh, I'm out of the DA's office. I'm a young lawyer. I've got my own private practice. And I get a call at home late at night. Caller says, this is Liza Minnelli. I said, oh, hi, Liza Manelli. It's very nice that you're calling me, but I would have no idea why you would be calling me. She said, well, you know, uh, one of your friends, who is a choreographer, David Winters, uh, is doing a review for Linda Lovelace, who was the first and probably the most famous porn star of all time. Sure. Did a movie called Deep Throat, which was the first movie of its kind ever shown in legitimate theaters across the country. And uh, they both have been arrested for possession for sale of cocaine. I knew David Winters because uh, my youngest son and his son went to the same uh, preschool together. Okay. And so I guess he was the only lawyer, uh, I was the only lawyer that he knew and he had a phone call. They reached out to Liza Minnelli, and uh, I rented a private plane and flew to Las Vegas to to meet Liza, to meet uh, David Winters and uh, 
and the number one porn star of the time, Linda Lovelace. <laughs> I'm guessing okay. that case worked out well for them. It was, it was the first nationally publicized case that I know of. The newspapers carried it. The uh, television news carried it. And uh, I brought in uh, an esteemed lawyer from Las Vegas, uh, Harry Claiborne Jr. And the two of us worked on the case, and we were able to get uh, all charges dismissed. Uh, it was clear to me that it was a setup, that they didn't want uh, Linda Lovelace anywhere near Las Vegas. Uh, it was oh. run by by the mob at that time. And, you know, they, they were fine with... Uh, the Follies Berger, but uh, Linda Lovelace was another story that uh, put them over the edge. So uh, I believe it was a setup uh, when we went to ask to have this large amount of cocaine analyzed. Somehow it disappeared from the locker room. Oh, convenient. So we were fortunate to prevail in that case. And I wanted to ask you, because I've always been curious about jury selection. You know, I had a co-anchor at CNBC when I first started in business news who used to joke that the way to get out of jury duty is when you're getting queried by both lawyers, you look at the suspect and say, I don't know, the guy just looks guilty to me. And immediately you're going to get kicked off. But how do you pick people in a jury pool and, and how are you able to spot those in the jury pool who maybe, for example, in a high-profile case, are so eager to sit on the jury that they hide what they really think might get them booted? That's a very, very interesting question. Uh, first, in the high-profile cases and when clients can afford it, which is generally uh, most of my practice, we bring in a jury selection expert. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably the most famous is Dr. Phil. That's how he started out. Huh. Uh, he was a consultant for, for juries. And so uh, I developed relationships with uh, some of the top uh, jury selection experts who, who help with uh, filling out questionnaires for potential jurors and and coming up with, with a balanced mix. Uh, but my my approach is a little bit different than a lot of lawyers I see. Uh, number one, I don't use any notes. I try to talk to people uh, on a, on a even keel, uh, and my my theory is that if I can take my client out of the case and put my credibility on trial, uh, I have a better than average chance of winning cases. Mm. And that turned out to be true. Uh, so, uh, you know, there, there's no magic in, in, in picking out jurors. But if you get people uh, to talk to you, uh, which is really the key. I mean, if you start out and, and do this hornbook type of for dire, which is uh, the way we use a fancy term for talking to jurors, which means to tell the truth. Right. Uh, you know, can you be fair and impartial? Well, Doy. I think well, who's going to say I, no? <laughs> I, I don't want I don't want somebody just to get, tell me, of course, I can be fair and impartial. I, I want people to tell me, you know, I want you to look me straight in the eye. And if you believe that we present the case that I tell you we're going to present, that if you believe the prosecution hasn't reached their burden, mm-hmm. you would have no trouble in coming up with a not guilty verdict. And mm-hmm. that's how I start. 
And then I, I, I continue on that path of uh, taking my client out of the case and putting myself on trial uh, to the degree that, you know, I'll point to him and I say, you know, I'll bet you think he must be guilty if he's sitting here, even though you're going to be instructed, he's presumed to be innocent. He must have done something, right? And and they'll they'll all nod. Yes, of course, he must have done something. And then I explain what the uh, procedure is for bringing a criminal case. And in many times, it's just uh, a young deputy district attorney filling out a form and, and filling out charging documents. Mm. Or it's a grand jury that the defense had no chance of uh, putting any evidence in front of. Uh, right. And so uh, it's uh, it, it's really an art in, in being able to to pick a jury and and let a jury know that uh, you're going to deliver on every single thing you say in your opening statement. If picking a jury is an art, is it? Once you're in the courtroom theater, and I, and I say that, and that's not disrespectful, but isn't litigating like acting, Robert? I mean, opening statements and closing arguments, I've covered so many trials, they can make or break moments, and, and you have to grab the jury's hearts and minds with a vice grip, with eye contact and, th- you know, great lines, things that they will remember. Do you rehearse for those? I don't, but... Uh... I just have enough confidence in, in my ability to understand the case, to know the case, to to be able to to talk to juries uh, without reading from a script, without using powerpoints. Uh, just just a simple direct approach to to relate to people that you know I'm no different than you than than you are, other than the fact that I went to law school and I have a law degree, but. What we're going to talk about today is credibility. And and who do you believe at the end of the day? Uh, I don't view myself as an actor. Uh, In fact, I think I'd be a terrible actor. (laughs) You did play yourself in one TV show, right? I I did in several, but, uh, (laughs) you know, I I had a lot of fun doing those things. Uh, But I do have a character that that I have developed... uh, in court and uh, my public persona and my courtroom persona is, is much different than my private persona. Uh, privately, I'm very reserved. Uh, I'm not the life of the party. Uh, I uh, kind of uh, like to just stay with people I know, mm-hmm. not gregarious. Uh, so a, a lot different than, than people would, would have impressions of of uh, how they would view me well, by sure. just seeing me uh, on television. And the most they ever saw you on TV up until that big moment was the O.J. Simpson trial. You know, I, I covered it as a member of the press, and I was there on the day of the verdict. But, you know, going through that process for you, you are you are somebody who by then was was very mature in your abilities as an attorney. You didn't take on the case uh, for the fame, did you? I mean, you took it on specifically why? You know, it's a, it's very interesting that, that you asked that question. Uh, I got a call from a person I did not know. I, I happened to be at the House of Blues 
celebrating the anniversary of a good friend of ours, John Paul de Joria, who started oh, Paul sure. sure, and later, later uh, Patron, and uh, very, very good friend, uh, one of the great philanthropists uh, and, and wonderful human being. He's been a guest on this podcast, Robert, um, and he yeah. was homeless and he became a self-made billionaire selling hair products yeah. out of his car. He's amazing. Absolutely, absolutely all true. And I'm sitting there and the, the um, manager of uh, the House of Blues comes up and says, you have an emergency phone call. And literally my heart drops. I mean, it's a Sunday evening. Mm. Who would know him at the House of Blues to begin with? And what what could be the emergency? And on the other end of the phone is a very gregarious guy named Roger King. Roger King came from the King family, which at the time had uh, probably the highest rated TV shows. They had sure. Oprah Winfrey, Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it was pretty simple. He's he's loud. He's gregarious and says, you know, uh, O.J. Simpson's a very dear friend of mine uh, and uh, he needs the best lawyer. And I hear you're the best lawyer in the country. So I'm hiring you to represent O.J. Simpson. And I said, well, that's very kind of you and nice, nice to hear from you, Mr. King. But I generally deal with clients. Hold on. Hold on. I'll get him on the phone. Mm-hmm. Well, can't get him on the phone. <laughs> He says, I'll get back to you if I get him. An hour later, he's talking again, got me on the phone, and he's got Michael Eisner on the phone, the head of Disney. He says, tell him how rich I am. Tell him I can afford him. Tell him I've got $700 million in the bank. And I said, you know, all that's interesting. Uh, But uh, if uh, Mr. Simpson is interested in talking to me, I'll be in my office tomorrow at 830. Here's my direct line. And at 8.30, he called. Mm -hmm. And uh, an hour later, I I met with him. I met with uh, Robert Kardashian, who was his advisor, not his lawyer. Uh, Skip Taft, who was his business lawyer. And, uh, you know, they asked me, what would you do if uh, you were representing uh, Simpson? And, you know, I came up with with a list of, of things that I thought would uh, be really important to get an investigator in Chicago, get an investigator at LAX, get the manifest from everybody on the airplane, start talking to everybody on the airplane, and get way ahead of uh, the DA's investigation. And uh, they 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 liked it. Uh, Simpson liked it, and they asked me to uh, come on board. And so it wasn't something that I gave a lot of thought to. Should I do it? Should I not do it? It was. You know, not certainly it wasn't just another day at the office. No. That had, would be absurd to had say. Had you ever litigated a murder trial before? Murder case? Yes, but not many, but not many. But I had a uh, misconception that I hadn't. But uh, I, I had uh, done two before. Very unusual that private lawyers who do not take court-appointed cases end up representing people in murder cases, mm-hmm. basically for financial reasons. Uh, they're, they're time consuming, they're, they're complicated, uh, they take, and they take a lot of money to, to properly do them. And so the majority of people who try murder cases are public defenders. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, every, listen, we've had Ike Sorkin on. He represented Bernie Madoff. He's taken on very unpopular clients. And everybody deserves their day in court and a fair trial. I get that. But there are so many people who don't understand the mind of a criminal defense attorney and... They don't understand how, whether it's you or Ike or any of these guys who get out there and defend, you know, a Ted Kaczynski or somebody like that, the Unabomber, people who've been caught red-handed. How how do you decide whether somebody is just not worth your time because you truly believe they're guilty? Well, that's a very, very interesting question. Uh, first, there are certain cases that I would not take. Right now, I I have not really practiced criminal law for the last 10 years, Mm -hmm. uh, or actually last 20 years. I don't don't want to take a child molestation case. Uh, There's certain other sexual cases I wouldn't want to take. Uh, Later on in my career, I would not do drug cases. just a personal preference, not, not, nothing more, nothing less. Well, I, I know why part of your personal preference, uh, not taking drug cases. We should talk about your son. You lost yeah. a son to drug addiction, to substance alcohol, abuse. Alcohol, alcohol and drugs. Alcohol and drugs. Uh, something no parent should ever have to go through. Well, that's a, that's easier to say than, than to live. Right. And uh, it was... 17 and a half years ago. It could have been 17 months ago, 17 hours ago, 17 minutes ago, or 17 seconds ago. Mm-hmm. It never goes away. And so what uh, my wife and I and our son decided to do was to to take this tragedy and and turn it into a positive. And we started at the memorial. And at the memorial, uh, the only people that spoke were his friends and myself and his drug counselor. And we all talked about drugs and drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after uh, after the, the internment, uh, we had our friends come to, to the home. And now Roger King's brother, Michael King, comes to me and says, I've been so moved by by what I heard today uh, at uh, the memorial that I want to make a substantial donation to your favorite charity. And I said, Michael, you know, I really don't have a favorite charity, but I'd like to start one for drug prevention and drug awareness. And he wrote a check for $25,000, and within six weeks, we had the Brent Shapiro Foundation, a 501c3 foundation for uh, for drug prevention and drug awareness. And uh, we've been growing that program with the idea that it takes a life to save a life. It's just and, amazing uh, to me because you also took it to children. You wrote a children's book about drug addiction and you donate copies of this to any school that wants them. I think we were had some degree of uh, success in, in helping pass the Good Samaritan Law in California, where uh, if somebody has drugs, 
but is with somebody who is in need of medical attention. They can take them to the hospital. Nobody can get arrested. Nobody mm. can get charged. Uh. And, and we put that on the cards. And so that, that was the first uh, thing we did, really to create awareness that alcoholism and, and chemical dependency are diseases, uh, not unlike any other disease, uh, you know, but it's a, a disease that has treatment but no cure, much like asthma, that uh, we then decided, you know, what can we do to try to stop the onslaught of, of kids using substance because let's make no secret of it, Liz. Right. There is not a place in America that somebody will not be tempted with drugs, period. Agreed. It doesn't exist. And, and it, also, and, it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic level is. Well, we, we developed a little slogan. Be aware it's everywhere. It's a good one. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listen Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It feels uh, like, like that is the kind of action that makes a difference and i mean it, it sounds cliche but boy brent would be so grateful to you for doing this i i'm just blown away uh, this is a a component of you that i didn't know i know that you became a businessman you started legal zoom which is brilliant you know that's really democratizing lawyering and legaling for people, things that they need to do and get done uh, at a much fairer price and level. And I'm just so impressed by that. And I did not know this about you. You have so many different prisms through which to look. I would like to know what you look forward to now. What's next for you? Well, what's next for me is the foundation uh, and growing the foundation. What I'd like to see eventually is universal testing of of kids to the age of uh, 17 that uh, make it as common as putting on a seatbelt when you get into a car mm -hmm. or putting a helmet on when you ride a bicycle uh, because that's the only way that parents and, and teachers are going to be able to know whether or not there really is a problem. Uh, with our testing problem, we have over a 99% success rate. We rarely, if ever, have somebody fail a test. If they do, we have counseling. We do not embarrass them. We, we put them 
back into the program. Uh, the ultimate reward, before we get on to uh, what you just asked me, Liz, mm -hmm. is a college scholarship. Last year, we uh, were able to get one student into UCLA, oh. the hardest school <laughs> in the country to get into as a, <laughs> as a freshman. We got one into Berkeley. We got one into uh, Georgetown. Uh, this year, we got a student into Brandeis. We got several in the University of California. So we have about 40 kids right now that we are supporting with full four-year scholarships to the college of their choice. Uh, we then have a junior scholarship program for junior college and for community college. And those are $5,000 renewable based on grades and achievement. So that's where where I want to focus my efforts, and and that's where I'd like my legacy really to be. That uh, that we were able to reach out to kids in underserved areas, and, and the reason it has to be in underserved areas is because the rewards we give to these students are readily available to people who are in the middle class or upper. Uh, upper class. Sure. Uh, we take them to college campuses. We take them to ball games. We take them to experiences. But these are experiences that kids that do not live in underserved areas uh, treasure, whereas uh, uh, other kids would, would say, well, what's the big deal? I mm -hmm. just sit at the floor at the Laker game. You know, yeah. there's no incentive for me. You are helping the helpless. I, yeah. I am honored to talk to you, Robert, and I think you are a good human being. I only really knew you from where everybody knew you, the OJ trial, <laughs> and uh, I got my personal opinions about that. But as I've gotten to know you now, this I hope our listeners understand. You have to hear people's real story before you judge them and... I am really proud to be a conduit of your story, Robert. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's it's a real pleasure. You know, I, I enjoy watching you now on the financial channels. <laughs> uh, you mentioned legal Zoom. I'll just leave you with a with a with a humorous story, please. <laughs> so, uh, four people started legal Zoom. Uh, two lawyers, very very bright lawyers, Brian Liu and Brian Lee and an internet genius from Yale named Eddie Hartman. And, and two very interesting stories about that. The first is, uh, I get a call, they said, you know, are you available to come? We're, we're all gonna get our pictures taken. We're gonna be on the cover of the California Lawyer Magazine. <laughs> I said, why would we wanna be on the cover of the California Lawyers Magazine? I mean, they're not sending us any business. They're not people that are particularly fond of us. Uh, oh, no, I, what, uh, Brian tells me, oh, no, I've talked to the writer and the editor, and I know them, and it's going to be great. So out comes this magazine, which goes to every lawyer free in California, with the four of us up there smiling, dressed nicely, with the caption, these guys are trying to take you out of business. <gasps> <laughs> it happened to be a correct caption well but not, yeah but not a, not a, you know look at i mean uh, 
but uh, I, I, I found that extremely humorous. <laughs> the, the other one is, is really a, a great story. And uh, one, one of our partners who was not the lawyer, Eddie Hartman, came to me and said, you know, every time they introduce the founders of Legal Zoom, they say it was founded by three guys and this guy, Eddie Hart. <laughs> and I said, I said, Eddie, don't, you know, look at this, this thing can run without any of us except you. I mean, you're, you're the brains behind this thing and, and make it work. And I said, don't don't tell me you're thinking of going to law school. He said, no, you know, I heard there's an apprentice program and that, you know, maybe uh, I could sign up and, and you could tutor me and be my advisor. I said, sure. So uh, the, the apprentice program, I never heard of anybody ever passing it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I believe there, there was historically in World War II, they needed lawyers and, and that some people became lawyers without going to law school. So it comes time to take the baby bar and uh, he said, you know, I've never failed a test in my life and, and I'm really scared. You know, I'm not that prepared. I said, you know, you're so smart. It's multiple choice. There's five questions. You'll you'll narrow it down to two that are pretty obvious. So you got a 50 50 shot, you know, just just, you know, don't 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 sweat it too much. He gets the grade back. He gets the highest grade in the country on the baby bar. Oh, my. Four years later, he takes the bar, passes the bar in the first attempt. And I said, great news. You know, I'll take you down to federal court. I know some judges there will get you sworn in right away. Before we can do that, he gets uh, a notice there's an inquiry. And six months later, uh, he gets cleared of the inquiry. And he got one of the highest grades in the country on the regular bar. And so they thought he cheated. Oh, and my God. The last thing that Carlos Marino uh, did before he retired from the California Supreme Court was to swear Eddie Hartman in as a lawyer. So, you know, there, there's always help. Right now, right now, right now uh, Kim Kardashian has actually passed the baby bar without ever going to law school. Good for her. Good for her. So, yeah, very good for her. And so... Anyway, that's the legal Zoom story. That uh, you know, that's that's one part of my life, uh, the entrepreneurship, which is going back to my roots at UCLA, being a a finance major. I love it. I wanted that piece of it as well because that is so impressive, especially for me who covers business and entrepreneurship and people who just start something from nothing and really succeed and also do a service for people. Uh, overall, Robert, this is this has kind of been life changing for me to talk to you. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing what you have with our listeners who love these kinds of stories. So thank well, you. Well, you know, look, at I view you as a very special person. You were kind enough to to interview me a, a while back uh, on your TV show. And this is, I think, the fourth interview I've given in my career. And so... Uh, what? Uh, um, I'm glad I was able to share uh, some of my stories, hopefully inspiring some people and... Uh, get them on the right track if uh, they have any addiction issues to remember that it's not as shameful to to have a disease uh, any disease and 
drug addiction, chemical dependency, alcoholism, uh, all fall in that area. Amen. I'm honored. Now I'm floating. Now I'm levitating. Okay. Now I can brag when I walk out of the studio. Oh, my God. Robert, we're going to hang when I get back to Beverly Hills one of these days. Thank you so very much for being on Everyone Talks to Liz. Well, I'm glad that everyone talks to him, but I'm really, (laughs) uh, really honored that I'm one of those who got to talk to you. So thank you so much. You got it. Good health and happiness to you and your family. Thank you. you. And to all of our listeners, I wish you the same. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.